this uh, Valentine's Day evening after 56 years of marriage or nearly 56 years of marriage um, and 56 years of being an unromantic I find uh, Valentine's Day a, a bit of a misnomer really I, I thought to myself today you know a, a, a dozen roses might be going over the top and then I thought well maybe half a dozen roses in the end I, I ended up giving her the whole tin so um <laughs> oh I'm glad I'm glad I can't hear all that ruckus laughing going on but uh, never mind let's just let's just pray again I, I need to pray this because um Heavenly Father we we come before you now to study your word and, and what I would ask is that you take away the inadequacies and the shortcomings of the speaker uh, we don't want to hear the words of mere man we need to hear the words of Almighty God and Father just now use me as a vessel uh, to proclaim your word thank you Father Amen um, I just want to read uh, a few verses from Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, uh, the last book in the Old Testament. All the, many of these minor prophets really all lived around about the same time, but it was all leading up to that time um, when, uh, as far as verbal communications were concerned, God shut down for 400 years. Um, and these are amongst the last words uh, that he spoke to to the Jewish nation through the prophets and this is an oracle the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi and the Lord says I have loved you but you ask how have you loved us and I replied was not Esau Jacob's brother yet I have loved Jacob but Esau I have hated and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will repeat the ruins, rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of, Lord, of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled, defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. And when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is, is that not wrong? And when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you should shut the temple doors so that you would not light, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. 
looking at this letter, and we'll come back to, to one or two words in, in there in Malachi. But looking at this letter, um, at first glance, you, you realize that this is, this is a good church. This is a church that is pleasing to God. And, uh, you know, what he says to them, the way that he rewards them, uh, shows just what God does think of this church of Philadelphia. Uh, I was trying to be clever because I thought to myself, gosh, I, be I better try to even look intelligent following on from John Allen, let alone try to be intelligent. But, um, you know, looking at the history of this place, the, the, the actual city, Philadelphia, was, was built by a, a guy called Attalus Philadelphus. Um, and he was the king of Pergmos. Uh, and he built a city, uh, Philadelphia, uh, in honor of his brother. Um, and that's where the, the term brotherly love uh, for, for the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love comes from. Strange, isn't it, that, uh, you know, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, I think it is, isn't it, in the United States a few years back was the, ca was the murder capital of the USA. And yet it was then they bore the name of the city of brotherly love. But this was a very wealthy city. This was a very wealthy city. It was the gateway to Asia. And it was often referred to as Little Athens uh, because of its wealth and its magnificent temples to the various gods and the various civic buildings. It was a big place. And if you go on there today, you'll actually find if you go onto Google, uh, which I thank the Lord for, Whenever I'm, whenever I'm preparing a sermon, um, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a city now. Well, more of a town really called Alashahia, <clears throat> exactly where Philadelphia used to be. But now, of course, it has a, a an Asian name, a, 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 in fact, a, a, an Islamic name, uh, being in west uh, eastern Turkey, western Turkey. Sorry. Um, but it was a magnificent place. But if you go onto Google and see modern day pictures of the place, you can see the magnificence of the place really because a lot of it still stands and uh, not, not in, in useful state, but the pillars uh, of these temples, these magnificent buildings, they're enormous. And even they even over, sort of over, overshadow uh, the modern day city uh, of Al-Shahir. And um, even today, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because with most of these other churches um, that, we, that we've looked at over the weeks, there isn't currently any church or any Christian presence in, in many of them. In fact, in most of them. But in what was Philadelphia, they reckon that a quarter of the population would still um, consider itself Christian, probably Greek Orthodox more so, but a quarter of the population is Greek, and there is quite a strong uh, Christian presence still in that town, in that city of Philadelphia. In fact, it still has a bishop, a Christian bishop. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if that's a good sign. Well, I mean, it is a good sign, don't get me wrong there, but whether that is a sign that we, we follow on from, from the fact that Jesus um, you know, open this door in Philadelphia that we'll see in a moment. But it's built in an area that's very prone to earthquakes. Uh, as you know, a lot of Turkey is, but this a particular area. And about 50 years, about 50 years approximately, um, before this uh, revelation of Jesus, before the church was written to, there was a massive earthquake, more or less destroyed the whole, the whole city. 
but they re rebuilt it and uh, they got actually got a grant uh, from the from the uh, Roman Empire from Rome uh, to rebuild the city because it was such an important place. Uh, it was a gateway to Asia. It was a prosperous place. It made a lot of money through taxes for the Romans, and they rebuilt it. Um, they rebuilt it in the uh, as an you know to show the importance of that place as a commercial place. So that's the background to to Philadelphia as as a as a city. A uh, little bit there, um, and you'll. Hopefully you'll think how clever I was finding all that out for you. But um, let's go to this letter now as Jesus, as Jesus uh, instructs John. And when you think about it, this whole book, of, we talk about these seven letters to the churches, but actually the whole book of Revelation uh, is a letter. Because you'll remember right at the very beginning of, of Revelation, Jesus says, take this down, write it on a, uh, a, a whatever they wrote on in those days, write it down and, and, and send the whole thing send the whole thing out uh, to, the, to the seven churches. Uh, and then he specifically um, reveals to the seven churches, particularly directly to them, these seven, what we call seven letters, but they're seven letters within a larger letter. But to the church in Philadelphia, right to the angel in the church at Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will take them, make them fall, come and fall down uh, at your feet, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Two words keep coming back because I've read through these letters and, and I think it's, it's important. Um, and I'm sure the other uh, speakers who've just really begin one or two churches to speak on would have read every every letter as they prepare each sermon. But two words keep coming back. I wouldn't say they they haunt me, but it feels as if they're haunting me. Uh, and the two words are I know. And he writes those words to every church, to the seven churches. It comes up I know. Um, It's quite amazing, isn't it? I'm, I'm not a one for believing that God micromanages our lives. But I do believe that God knows every microbe of our being. He knows, and I, and I guess that's why it haunts me to a degree, but God knows everything about us. 
And as he writes to these churches, I know, you know, and as members of a church, when we think of great parks, he could quite easily write, couldn't he? Or, or, or give us a vision or speak through, through his word saying great parks, I know. I know everything about you. I know everything about every member. I know what you do. I know your works. God knows. And you know, we really need, and I can't stress this enough, we really need to take God seriously. We need to take his work seriously. But the thing is, how do we know what God knows about us? Well, it will only be through sincere study of his word and through a very strong and powerful prayer life, because that is our communication with God. And that is how we find out, that is how we know. You know, this, this revelation, it, I don't know, was a one-off to the churches. You know, does, God doesn't normally indulge in that sort of thing. But what he wants us to do is to get to know him through his word and through our prayer life. The two most important things for any Christian, for any church, for its Bible studies, for its prayer meetings. And how many times have we said it? And every church that I've ever attended, every church, in fact, when you listen, I don't know about you, but I've been listening to a lot of sermons. I've been listening to a lot of live streaming during this lockdown and virtually every church says the same. The two worst meetings that are attended in terms of attendance, it's a prayer meeting and Bible studies. And yet really, they definitely need to be the two most. Going back to Malachi, sorry, not going back to Malachi, I'll stick with me notes. I was gonna go back to Malachi, but I'll stick with me notes. Then we might be finished within the next four hours. Verse seven, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Holy and true. Every time Jesus introduces himself in each of these seven letters, he introduces himself with a different name, a different title, a different description. And this is how he introduces himself to the church of Philadelphia, the words of him who is holy and true. This word holy, a bit frightening. I can remember the first time I read the verse which says, uh, make yourself holy as God is holy. Goodness me, how can I make myself holy as God is holy. But we have to understand what this word holy means. It just means separated from. Separated from, set apart. And as God is set apart from the world in, in the respect that he, that he, he has no, no connection in that respect uh, and, and doesn't live in the world, or he's not part of, sorry, not in the world, but not part of the world. That is how we must be when Jesus says you're in the world, but you must not be part of it. It really is being set apart. And just as God is set apart from the world, so we must be also, if we're gonna be true disciples of him, holy and true. God is truth. Why do we not tell lies? Is it because it's not nice? No, 
we don't tell lies because God is truth. God doesn't tell lies, so we shouldn't tell lies. And if we're going to reflect his glory into the world, as we should do as Christians, then we do not tell lies. But I am the one who is holy and true. And also, introducing himself, I am the one who holds the key of David. You remember God's promise to David that for eternity, he would have somebody sit upon his throne. And now the key has been passed down through the ages, and Jesus holds the key, the everlasting kingdom. Verse eight is a very special verse for these people. Jesus tells them that they're weak, but that doesn't mean that they're spiritually weak. It's interesting, uh, just, to, just to quote, um, a little bit from 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 uh, Tom Wright's uh, commentary on this on this particular letter, we must imagine that this is not a city where you've got the synagogue on one corner and the little mission hall on the other corner. These people are weak because the synagogue is massive. There is a big Jewish contingent in this city, and they. Uh, for whatever reason, you, you may remember, you know, it, it, when we read the Gospels and, and, and Jesus, the time, the, the Romans gave the Jews special dispensation to um, practice their religion. And they, had, they were very powerful, a very powerful force in this, in this city of Philadelphia. And uh, you must imagine there were probably hundreds, if not thousands of Jews in this city and this church in Philadelphia you're probably looking at perhaps two dozen three dozen Christians no more we often think of the early church of being massive because we read of Peter's when he preached in in the in, the, in Jerusalem when 3,000 people were added to the church but you must remember there were thousands upon thousands of people in in Jerusalem at that time and then they dispersed back to their various towns and cities all around but there were very few. This church would have been very small. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says you are weak. It doesn't mean that they're weak in their, in their spiritual lives. It doesn't mean that they're weak Christians. It's just that they are weak. They're, they're because of their numbers being so small and because of the pressure uh, from, the, from the Jews in the synagogue, their, their, witness, their witness in many respects would have been on the weak side. Now that doesn't mean to say that the weakness wasn't the witness wasn't good, but it would have been weak short purely because of the lack of numbers and the fact that the Jews would keep them pretty much constrained uh, in their opportunities that were offered to them. And you think to yourself now, how will Jesus reward the fact that they've 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 stayed true to him? Well, here it is in verse eight. I have opened a door of faith. I have opened the door. Jesus has opened the door. Uh, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's their reward. The door has been opened. And what's going to happen once the door is opened? Well, 
if the door has been opened and the good news now can pass through that door out into the wider community. You have little strength, not spiritually. And it goes on there in verse nine. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Remember, he's referred to that in the other church. Was it Smyrna? Um, the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not. Now, why were they not Jews? Why was Jesus saying they were not Jews, not true Jews? Obviously, they were Jews by birth, but they weren't Jews. Well, the fact is they'd missed the Messiah. They'd missed the Messiah. If they were true Jews, and, and there were many who came to know Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior and recognizes him as their Messiah, but those that didn't couldn't be true Jews because they would have known the scriptures. They would have seen it. They would have heard. They would have known. But these didn't. These were just Jews going about Jewish business. And we're going back to Malachi. It's interesting, isn't it? Because God says, you, I have loved. You, I have loved. And even then they said, how did you love us? Did you show us that you loved us? Of course I did, said God, but you didn't recognize it. You who I loved. I loved you. And now he is the same God, the same, the same one, the, 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 the three triune God is now coming to this, to these, this, this weak in number church in Philadelphia saying, look, these are not true Jews. You've got nothing to fear here. I'll make them come. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge, now note these words, and acknowledge that I have loved you. To the Jews in Malachi, I have loved you. Now to these Christians in Philadelphia, I have loved you. And what verses of great encouragement Verses 10 and 11, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So that no one can take your crown. You know, we often talk about it, don't we, Ben? We get to glory and, and, and scripture tells us that we will be given crowns of glory. This church already has one. This church already has one. It has overcome, it has stood firm in the face of all opposition, both Roman and Jewish. Just a small handful of people who have kept the faith. No wonder God has loved them. No wonder Jesus has loved them. Wouldn't it be glorious when we get to when we get to glory, you know, and you'll be able to meet such people as these. Even 2000 years later, just reading those verses makes me feel shamefaced. Because these people have stood up. Just in that small community of people. And yet Jesus has now revealed himself to them. I have loved you. Looking at these things, when you remember John Allen last week, then he he said that each letter has a reference to something that is peculiar 
to that particular church in that particular area. And this was the thing in, in Philadelphia. The thing that was peculiar to them was the earthquakes. The area suffers many, but that tremendous earthquake that, that li did literally um, ruin, well, it, it devastated the city. And all those large public uh, buildings and the temples were, were, all came tumbling down and had to be rebuilt. And yet, what does God, what does Jesus say to these people? He says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. There's going to be no other temple. There's, a, there's, a, there's an organization that I came across um, there's a guy, um, I think he's in Texas, um, a guy called John Haggy. Um, he's pretty much a, a forerunner and in, in, leader of this, this group, but there's many involved in, it, in, in, the, <clears throat> in churches in, in, uh, in, the, in the southern states, mainly of America, but it's, it's across the Midwest as well. Um, which promotes the, the, the rebuilding, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And, you know, they ask for donations and they're trying to get enough money to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem when, when the Christian world, the Jews can get permission to build it because it's not just their city anymore. There's the, the uh, um, Muslims and others in there, but they're actually collecting money so that they can get the temple built but there's no need for another temple. God has left his temple. You don't need a temple. You don't need a physical temple anymore to worship God because God's dwelling is now with man. And when he talks about making these people pillars in the new temple, in his temple, it's a spiritual thing. They will be the mainstay. They will be the pillars of God's temple when we come together to worship God when our Lord Jesus comes back, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem. You will be made a pillar. And it was quite, in, in fact, even today is, isn't it? You quite often see inscriptions. And if you go around some of these, uh, when we were in Rome and, and Pompeii and places like that, it was nothing unusual to see inscriptions engraved on pillars of old buildings. And this is what it's saying. It's, it's that spiritual thing. Your name will be engraved on the pillar and you will be a pillar and your name will be engraved on it in glory, in the new temple. And that is the reward for overcoming. That's the reward for standing firm. There's a day coming and it's, and it's increasing, isn't it? As you, it's, it's not until you really look around and see what's going on, even in our own country here. Um, and, and I guess sort of America, which seemed to stand out as the last bastions of, of Christianity in the Western world. And it's not, it's not physical persecution, but things are beginning to crowd out. Governments, laws that are being passed, local governments, uh, communities, um, things that, that, that 
that are, are coming in and crowding God out of this world. God is becoming increasingly day by day in this world, becoming irrelevant. Nobody wishes to abide by God's law anymore. Nobody wishes to live a life that is honoring to God because we're gradually being squeezed. And day by day, we, we, we don't hear half of it going on until something comes up in the paper and you find some Christians being persecuted or taken to court or whatever it is, or you, you know, what we call freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff. These are the persecutions. And this is the reason for this, this great revelation of Jesus Christ. And as he speaks to the churches, you know, here we are 2000 years later, things are not very different now to what they were then. I've often heard people say, oh, if only we could go back, you know, to the early church when God was doing this and God was doing that. It's not a lot different today. God is still doing things with his church, only if people will let him do them. And things are still happening. But God could probably write, Jesus could probably write those seven letters today to seven different churches and they would read them and they would realize it was exactly the same. Things don't change. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, the world goes on and history just repeats itself. And day after day, day after day, the things go on. And history only repeats itself because we never learn from it. That's a tragedy. But as we listen to this word of God and as we read our scriptures and particularly to these seven churches, if we're listening as a church, which we are at this very moment in time as a fellowship of God's people, we really need to be on our knees and say, Lord, do any of these letters apply to us? Let us hope and pray that Philadelphia's letter would apply to us. But let us make sure that these other letters that have been written for the other churches and especially the one next week, uh, thank goodness David Herring's got that one. But, um, you know, it, it, God is speaking to us. What we need to be sure of is that if we have ears to hear, that we hear what he's saying. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his son. Let us endure. Let us stay to the, to the very end and, and fight through and stand up. Not for, not for what is right. And not for our rights, but let us stand up for our Lord Jesus, for reflecting his glory into this world, because that's what we were created for, to, to, to reflect God into the world, to give praise and honour and glory to his name. You know, <laughs> great saying, isn't it? Christ didn't die on the cross at Calvary to make us happy. He died on the cross at Calvary to make us holy. And if that's all we will, that's all we remember from this tonight, let us make sure that we become a holy people, apart from the world, set apart from the world for God. I'll say no more. I'm searching for words and that's bad. But thank you for listening. God bless each one of us. Thank you.